0: This looks weird looking at yourself like this. I don't like (laughs) these things. (laughs) Ladies and gents. Auditorium with people.
1: (laughs) Ladies and gents, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode. You guys are getting treated far too nicely at the minute of the AJ Roberts Show. Uh I'm AJ Roberts, as ever, your host, and today I am with none other than Anna De Brisier, former army officer, common law lawyer. Uh, and senior lawyer here in the United Kingdom. Anna, welcome this evening and thank you for taking, you know, some time out of your busy schedule because I know you're inundated with uh, podcast requests and phone calls and messages. Um, People just really want to get as much knowledge from you as they can because you are an expert in what's going on when it comes to the legal side of stuff. So uh, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you.
0: Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me and I've really enjoyed our chats before the show so that we can understand where we're both coming from um Mm -hmm. so yeah i um brief introduction about myself um as you mentioned i'm a retired army officer i was a survival instructor um so i spent nine years in the army and yes as some people you know the criticisms that come through amidst the support someone said well you were only a territorial army officer yes Mm -hmm. i was a territorial army officer because i was running i was doing that at the same time as getting my business degree um, and my law degree and running the career, both careers at the same time. Mm. Um, and um, I ended up going to law school and I qualified and was called, uh, well we say called, it's not called, um, admitted to the role of solicitors in 1996. Um, and I've been practicing for about 25 years. Um, and what I, I started off actually in medical negligence working in the NHS litigation authority so I spent about the first six months reading around two and a half thousand cases of medical negligence which was very very revealing because we had to audit them Mm. Um, but then I've also worked in uh, big city law firms where you know I've done all kinds of other things Um, but for the last 15-20 years of my life I've been practicing in employment law um, but specializing in particular in uh, discrimination but in particular disability and uh, physical and mental health disabilities. So I have quite a niche practice in that respect, but I do all kinds of employment. Mm. So yes, I'm very happily talk to people about what's happening um, in terms of the laws generally that are being broken. Mm. Um, Sorry, I got a frog in my throat. throat) But also um, with respect to obviously these awful decisions about mandating vaccines and the coercion um, being put onto people, but also in respect of our children returning to school and the threat that you know parents feel is threatening to their children. So yes, do ask me any questions you'd like.
1: Yeah, and I know all the guys and girls watching um, have got lots of questions themselves. Um, and on that note, guys, um, if you do have any questions, please fire them into the chat uh, or into the comments. Um, this is currently live across my personal page the AJ Roberts show Facebook page and the AJ Roberts show YouTube channel. So please, if you have any sort of personal questions in regards to the legalities of everything going on at the minute, um, that you'd like Anna to cover and for the benefit of everybody else, you know, cause we are in this together. Um, please do so in the chat and I'll try and get through some, uh, as we go through. Um, also if you haven't done so already as ever, my one and only fee because I'd make no money out of my podcast, is I ask you guys to share with at least one person, okay? If everybody shares with one person, those people will share with people, those people will share with people. And what that does is, gets this really important message that we're trying to get out to as many people as possible to help them obviously make quite executive decisions for their own futures for them and their family coming forward rather than get blindsided by what's potentially coming their way. Uh, And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to unravel the truth and we're trying to help as many people as possible along the way. So hit that share button, hit that like, whatever you need to do, okay? And let's spread this message. Um, Anna, we talked briefly before we started the show and you thought it would be a very, very good idea to explain a timeline of events or historical um, situation when it comes to the law and the laws that are currently being broken right now. Do you want to shed some light on that? Because you said it's you know it's vitally important that people understand sort of like from that standpoint where we were and where we are.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So um, you know, as we all know, multiple laws are being broken. I mean, I, you know, myself and my fellow legal professionals are absolutely horrified and shocked at the multitude of laws being broken, both domestically and internationally. Um, And there are lots of talks about which laws everybody should uphold, whether it should be common law, whether it should be statute law, whether, you know, these kinds of things. Well, the fact of the matter is you need to look at the coronation oath. And if you read the coronation oath of 1953, the sovereign, and the sovereign incidentally has sworn this oath in the basic format for at least 1500 years on record. Mm-hmm. Because the way our constitution runs is that the monarch makes an oath to the, to we, the people. And it's a three or four part oath. And the first part of the oath is about upholding our laws. So that she swear, he or she swears to the people that they will uphold God's laws in accordance with the Old and New Testaments and the Gospels. Common law, in other words, the law of the land. So that would include common law, acts of parliament etc customs and practices etc and you know all of our existing laws basically the second part of the oath is that they will oversee judgment in all in mercy and all judgment rather okay because they are the intercessor with god and that's how god would oversee judgment so they are required to see judgment in mercy in all all matters and then the third part of the oath is to uphold the church and its privileges and doctrines and sacraments and worship etc now the point of that is that there's the separation of powers then you know the 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 monarch is there to be the intercessor between god and the ultimate authority and the ultimate morality but then the people's laws keep the monarch in place and then the church is there to keep everybody in place if they all get you know they lose their way Mm
2: -hmm. and in between
0: all of that is justice and justice in all mercy in all judgments So that's how we as a society have operated on record for at least 2,000 years. So when you look at uh, what's happening in that context, the fact that we have on record being a Christian nation for 2,000 years upholding God's laws, all the other laws that are being made and broken have to be held under God's laws. So any of them that are in conflict with God's laws are not lawful in our Christian nation. So for example, that's encapsulated in the Hippocratic Oath. And the Hippocratic Oath was written in Greece in around 500 BC. And there's a whole load of wording in the Hippocratic Oath, but it's encapsulated by first do no harm. Hmm. And it expands on that. You do not administer a poison. You do not take the knife to anyone. You do not give a pessary to cause an abortion. You do not you know, commit euthanasia. Right. So because anyone who learns to become a medic can heal or harm, they can become a psychotic mass murderer or they can be healing millions with the right treatment plan. So, you know, the fact is that's a sacred oath. And that stems initially from the Bible. Do no harm to each other, love thy neighbor, Ten Commandments. You go to the Hippocratic Oath in respect to the medical profession, but in respect of the judiciary, there'll be the judicial oath. In respect of the MPs, there's the parliamentary oath. In respect of the army, as you know, there's an oath of allegiance. And all of those oaths are in place so that we don't harm each other. We uphold the law and we do justice to each other, right? In a moral, ethical society fast forward through the centuries and at various points in history we've all fought for our various rights so people talk about the magna carta the magna carta in 1215 came after the charter of liberties in 1100 which came after the whole code of anglo-saxon laws which came after the roman laws etc so we've always had these codes of laws in place fast forward to the bill of rights 1688 and we did more work on providing more rights fast forward to the um, 1847 i think it was and the american medical association enshrined some principles of medical ethics which included the fact that you shouldn't administer a poison and a lot of the elements from the hippocratic oath right fast forward to the hague convention where even in times of war you can't be horrible to each other and harm each other and conduct experiments on each other go to nuremberg code which came out of the you know Second World War. Mm-hmm. Same thing. You don't get to experiment on each other, you have to give voluntary consent. Out of that came the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the European Convention of Human Rights, the the Convention, the Oviedo Convention, the um, Conventions on Human Rights and Bioethics, Case Law. And we come to the current point in time where lawyers and judges and parliamentarians they've put in place all these laws to this point in time well in fact to the coronavirus 2020 right and then the coronavirus 2020 act 2020 appears and apparently says that none of those laws exist anymore absolutely none of them well first of all the coronavirus act 2020 was made under the public health control of diseases act which we lawyers still argue wasn't an actual valid act to claim it, the rights under in any event because it, pushed, it was
1: pushed uh, very quickly through parliament as well, wasn't it?
0: Oh, totally. It was it was presented like to parliament a, the, this 300 odd bill, which by the way, would have taken months, which Matt Hancock admitted in the second debate in parliament that it had taken them months to draft, query the timeline, okay? And it was presented and they, the whole house was given, I think two or three days to debate it, and then it
1: was passed. Hmm. And this is um, the one that they keep re- reviewing or renewing every six months.
0: And where they claim to get all the powers to make all these regulations and all these mandates. But actually mm. it's ultra virus powers because, for example, take the vaccine under section forty five E of the Public Health Control of Diseases Act, so if you accept that it's a you know an act that they can claim these powers from, rather than the Contingency Act, which it should have been, in my view and lots of other views, but lawyers' view. But even if you do say, OK, well, then take your, the act that you want to claim these powers from. You're claiming it under Section 45E. And actually, that says specifically you cannot mandate prophylactic treatment, especially if it's you know breaches bodily integrity. You can't fine people. Um, and you certainly can't um, do anything that goes against our universal rights, one of which is our inalienable right to our body integrity. Mm-hmm. So these are all laws that fall under each other, but under the basic principle of do no harm. So an employer, for example, mandating an injection, an an experimental injection on his employees would, on the face of it, be doing harm to them, unless they had conducted a full risk assessment under the health and safety legislation, Article 3 of the Health and Safety at Work Management Regulations 1999, that requires, it's a legal duty placed on an employer to ensure that if they're going to introduce some kind of measure in the workplace, such as a vaccine or a mask or testing, that they ensure that that doesn't cause risk or harm to the individual, because the individual's rights are paramount. They are mm-hmm. more, This idea that we should sacrifice ourselves for the collective is not correct. We are all equal under the eyes of god we're all equal under the rule of law and we are all sovereign we don't get to hurt each other for the collective good yeah so the requirement is on the employer to ensure that that mandate is not going to harm that individual Mm. with their pre-existing conditions and their underlying vulnerabilities etc so if they're not complying with all of that they're not complying with the law
1: and what what section was that you referred to just a minute ago
0: three of the health and safety at work management regulations 1999 and if you breach if the employer breaches the health and safety at work legislation it's not only a civil offense it's a potentially criminal offense and the health and safety executive has to go in and investigate the risk of harms to the employees because again under the universal declaration of human rights you have the right to work and earn a living And you have the right to go into your workplace therefore and not be harmed so that's you know then drilled down into with the health and safety at work act 1974 which goes into all the details about you know health and safety at work funnily enough and the health and safety at work assessments but that also they're actually a health and safety and um, mental well-being assessment so it's not just literally about your physical health and a lot mm. of these mandates are causing tremendous distress, emotional distress, and harm.
1: And, and that's all, thats I think that's the main driver in all of this. It's um, it's almost like let's chuck this out there because we've seen it already. So as I was explaining last night um, with Dolores, like me personally, I'm I'm trained in uh, neuro-linguistic programming, uh, mm. NLP practitioner. Like I saw this stuff coming a mile off, and any other NLP practitioners would have seen it as well. And it, this is just um chucking stuff out there like it could be mandated. You may have to get a, a Vax passport to go on holiday. You could, Um, mm-hmm. and that's where people have really gone quite wrong is they've not looked at the language of this. They've just seen the, almost like the like the fear porn words as we call them, um, and just panicked. And you know, loads of people in my family have done it, loads of friends have just thought, oh, I might need it for my job, so I went and got it. Um, and that's what's been the thing and the onus has always been the government have always put their onus, haven't they it's shifted the um the, res- the shoulder responsibility to either the employer um or the industry and then that then rolls downhill as we've seen and it just mm-hmm. makes more, most most people's lives who would just want to get on and earn a living very uncomfortable um and looking forward for them all they can th- potentially see because they're They're blinkered by and dolores covered this really well last night she was saying about you know taking a step back and actually assessing the situation which me and you know is quite a fine art obviously Mm -hmm. you you learn well in the military um actually assess the situation what's the facts what um what can i do about this and then go from there rather than just like run blindly into um a potential bear trap which is why we're doing all these podcasts and uh interviews and everything else that stop people going into those bear traps same with the guys and girls watching Um, but in regards to the actual, uh, employer and you mentioned the, the, the regulations and everything like that then, um, surely, um, because this is happening in Australia right now. And you mentioned to me on the phone the other day that Australia comes under very much the same sort of crown laws as, as we do as part of the Commonwealth, Mm -hmm. like they are literally gone full Nazi slash North Korea on their own people. I've got very good friends in the healthcare sector there who just said, "I'm going to have to leave. I've got no choice. They've told us we have to get it. They've they've been told they've got it in writing. In Western Australia, they're being told um, if you don't get it, you're going to get fined twenty thousand dollars. Like
0: totally, it's it's illegal, unlawful, immoral, and unethical. And I'm sorry mm. I had to interrupt because it makes me so cross, Mm. so cross." Because uh, you know, can I can I just um, interject there and take you back to the point about the psychological warfare that's being conducted yeah, on? People. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah.
0: So you and I had a massive advantage in this situation right from the word go because we have been taught to be in a survival situation and immediately calm our fear because mm. we know we won't be able to critically think and then we won't survive. So yep. we had a huge amount of training for that in that. Mm. So when this biological agent was released we were already massively worked further ahead than those people who had no survival training mm. and no way to immediately quell their fear. Now, you already picked up on the new linguistic programming that has been used, but we've been working, when I say we, um, the team of people I've been working with for at least, well, since January of last year, um, includes a team of experts, psychiatrists, psychologists, hip- hypnotherapists, NLP practitioners, and we've been conducting the analysis on, for example, the Mindspace document. Have people seen this? I've, I've got it here. Um, I was going to show it to people. I didn't, didn't bring it. But the, you know, there's a published document, the Mindspace document, which actually talks about all the applied and behavioral psychological techniques that are being used on people mm. right, to, to make them comply with the, the agendas that are being rolled out. Yeah. but for the people who have analyzed this the experts the feedback they've given to me is this and it's a very profound point and very disturbing they've conducted extensive analysis on the messaging on the um material that's being disseminated on the adverts etc and their overall conclusion is that not a single person in this population is able to give their fully informed consent freely given to these measures due to the psychological warfare right so it's not techniques or methods it is literally military grade warfare that is being conducted on the population Mm -hmm. now in law if you know those techniques are being used on the population so they cannot give their freely informed consent then consent is vitiated it's not valid you can't you can't claim to have obtained someone's consent from them and at the same time conducted psychological torture on them, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: which is exactly what's happening. And that's not my personal opinion. I am the mouthpiece. I'm giving you the expert evidence from all the experts I've been working with, not only in the UK, but internationally. And these are top class psychiatrists, you know, they're pediatric psychiatrists, for example. Um, So, you know, if the adult population is not able to give their fully informed consent, can you imagine our children being able Mm. to be competent. They are not. And so, frankly, the whole idea that people are happily going along for their injection, people want to comply. Well, no, they're terrified of losing their job. They're going to be fined. Their family's shaming them. They can't go to their football match. They can't go on holiday. They can't see their dying grandparents, right? That's not freely informed consent. That is coercion. That's coercion, threats, intimidation, guilt-tripping, shaming, I could list it all, it's all happening. And all of that vitiates informed consent. Now, the legal implications of that are profound because on a civil basis, it means that you have harmed people either psychologically, emotionally, with the, you know, financially, with their job, splitting up families, causing breakdowns in relationships, causing long-term psychological and physical health problems and we are already watching it unfold 60% mm. of children have now got a diagnosed mental health problem suicide rates have gone through the roof
1: yeah yeah I, I um i was at dan gregory's yeah i was at dan gregory's um question everything summit and one of the ladies uh she's a mental health specialist uh, works mainly with youngsters and that and they saw a a 90% increase in mental health requirements and appointments made for for children over a six-month period. Um,
0: And do you know how long the waiting list was even before this pandemic for the children? Years. It's now even longer. Mm. So those children who are now becoming temporarily damaged, medium-term damaged, long-term damaged, Mm. they're not even going to be able to access the treatment to get themselves better to make the recovery. So can you imagine all those years lost?
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, and this is the big question that obviously uh, I ask myself, and I'm sure everyone else does. I mean, you've got people like Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, and you've got like the health secretaries, and you've got all these MPs who uh, are clearly got strings attached to their shoulders and fingers uh, who Mm -hmm. have children of their own. And I, I cannot suggest for one second that our Prime Minister gets up in the morning and says, Yep, another day of treating my nation with the best respect possible and we get through this together there's no way he no he he must he must feel like shit like because he's not the Boris of old he, has a,
0: he has a choice mm. if he feels like shit about what he's doing Boris Johnson if you're watching I'm calling you out you can stop yeah. you can stop you can cease and desist from continuing to harm the nation and mm. you should And the multiple laws that are being broken means that the breach of the parliamentary oath is profound.
1: Yeah. And in regards to um, people watching now, obviously, Sarah, who I've put up there, said that you encouraged her on a Facebook group to pursue a discrimination case. And she's very close to being successful.
0: Oh, that's so lovely to hear. Oh, Sarah, I'm so pleased. Can I just take a minute? I'm actually really, really distressed at the moment because I'm so many people are sending me messages asking for help and heartbreaking stories. And I would. Really love to help everybody, and I'm finding it awful because i can't actually even respond yeah. to people to say i'm sorry, i can't help you, but i 'll try and find someone who can mm-hmm. um so we are actually frantically setting up lawyers for action, and what that it will be is uh, you know an organization where all the lawyers who are available to take cases will come under that umbrella will put all the templates up, all the protocols so that you know you have a landing place, because I know it's heartbreaking when you're trying to find a lawyer and you phone around firm after firm after firm. Mm. So we're gonna have a, a specialist group of lawyers who can deal with all these issues relating to COVID, but in a proper regulated law firm, because the problem that we've had as lawyers is we've gone under these campaign groups, but they're not regulated law firms. So mm. we can't then take the work under that we have to do it under a regulated work law firm. And then of course there are difficulties with partners and blah. So we're setting up a new one. So we've got websites under construction, but please bear with us. But then we can direct all the traffic to that. And then we'll have staff. We've actually got um, you know, staff coming forward and other lawyers and paralegals, et cetera. So I'm sorry, everyone, I can't help at the moment, but we are putting in place something to be able to deal with all of that.
1: And uh, in general, like what might people be expected to find on that website once, uh, I mean, imagine the employment side of stuff.
0: Yeah, well, what we want to do is make um, all of this legal stuff available for everyone so you don't actually have to pay a lawyer to tell you what the law is. And it's terribly difficult to find the law unless you know where to find it and how to read it, et mm. So what we're doing, I mean, for example, here, I've, I've created a, um, I don't i have know whether you can see it oh, wrong way for the camera, um, Yeah, this is me going from the Bible through to the latest case law decision, all the laws relating to health and informed consent, mental capacity, etc., human rights in relation to health rights. So what we're doing is we'll be creating... um, places where people can go to find out their rights on certain issues so on give competence for example for children on employment rights you know mandatory jabs etc we'll have the law set out for people so they can easily see it with links so they can go to the actual law to drill in further but we'll also have template letters you know so that you don't again you don't have to pay a lawyer to to write them for Mm -hmm. you and in fact we've created a lot of them already to be honest Um, and then then there's going to be evidence bundles there that you can submit so Mm -hmm. for example the open letters from all the campaign groups um, containing all the evidence and the arguments so that you don't have to make them yourself Mm -hmm. Um, there'll be a whistleblowing part so that anyone who wants to come forward can um, be taken through the protection of the whistleblowing legislation but also, so that they can start submitting evidence and we can start taking witness statements from them because we're doing that all the time already. But again, there'll be a landing pad for people. Um, and then okay. hopefully, you know, we'll have staff who can answer questions and, you know.
1: Mm. And, and what sort of uh, do you have sort of like a rough lead time on when people might be able to expect to jump on board or get stuck in? <laughs> um
0: help us do it yes please because it's all hands on deck and the only reason it's mm. not happening faster is because i can't do everything myself yeah and course, so yeah. i need you know i need people to help do that kind mm. of thing because if i can't be doing all the legal analysis whilst also trying to set up websites and um, you know what i mean mm. there's only so many hours in a day
1: yeah, yeah, no, I I, I, I totally can hear yeah. you on that one. I've actually been um, in the process of getting a an, assist, an assistant myself to like do all the podcast editing and stuff like that because I yeah. just um, do it all on top of my can't own business. It so, all yeah, uh, no, I'll totally get it. And, and and reply to as many DMs as I can. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the, the podcast has obviously got quite big now, and I'm getting messages from people uh, every single day with like yeah. questions along these lines. Um, and really? because I speak, because I'm speaking to doctors, scientists, lawyers, specialists yeah. all around yeah. the world now um let's uh, let's if you wouldn't mind obviously especially with our background, i'm getting a lot of messages from either people in the military um people whose children are in the military they're fairly young soldiers um or partners of or you know spouses of people in the military um basically saying that they're either being coerced into getting the vaccination um threatened with their qualifications uh really concerned because they've can see what's you know happened in young people especially males um across the uk now um in the united states in israel and you know if, if they survive you know long-lasting heart issues um that you know the, the, these messages on just getting on a daily basis now from your expertise you know like what can these individuals do to the in an initial phase to tell their employer that, that no they're not, they're not going to get it because like what would the what would be the thing that they need to come back with
0: first thing they could come back with is remember gulf war syndrome Mm
1: -hmm.
0: remember all the other vaccination programs in the military throughout history and i can i take you back to the rosenthal experiment in Mm
2: 1917-18
0: that was conducted on military bases in america where they injected a bacterial pathogen into soldiers and then marched them around flu wards and tried to get them to catch the flu virus. And they found that even under experimental conditions, they couldn't catch the flu virus. But the main cause of death in the Spanish flu, as confirmed by Dr. Anthony Fauci in his 2008 meta-analysis and post-mortem study, was secondary bacterial lung infection. Was it caused Mm. by the Rosenthal experiment or was it caused by an H1N1 flu virus, and nobody's been able to prove that it was a flu virus, but we have been, we've got the evidence now that it was a bacterial lung infection. So was that caused by the Rosenthal experiment, for example? Hmm. We know bio-warfare and, and experiments have gone wrong. I'm not saying the two go together, but we know that's happened for centuries. Yeah. So, and, and unfortunately, soldiers are often the first to be experimented on, hmm. whether I mean, I'm, I'm... or not.
1: Yeah, I I I had um I had a course of anthrax uh before um, going to uh, before Iraq in two thousand three. Um I can tell you now that wasn't a nice experience. Um I think there was about forty, fifty people like just within the squadron that were like man down, like really ill. And there was medics that had to constantly mm. but check up on people and stuff
2: Terrible. Uh,
1: and how did that turn out you know with the thing there was there was no weapons of mass destruction or any sort of threat and stuff like that and mm. yeah it was great so for those of you watching who uh thought I was anti-vax you can clearly see I'm not because I've had like most most inoculations that people don't never even had hep A hep B blah 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 mm. um, yeah me too yeah mm. e- exactly I, I, so,
0: I'm not anti-vax I'm anti an experimental innovative MRNA technology or adenoviral factor um, technology um, for a whole load of reasons. I could then go into why I you know, am concerned about those. So it's not uh, you know, that you are one or the other. You can look at a, um, a series of treatments and some mm-hmm. of them you think will be good for you and some of them you will reject. But going back to your question about what do they do on a practical level What they do is that they insist that the health and safety at work legislation and the universal declaration of human rights laws and bodily integrity laws are upheld. In other words, they have the right to an individual clinical risk assessment at work by an occupational health physician for their individual risk for this particular injection and what it might do for them as an individual and they have the legal right for that. And they must not be coerced or sanctioned or threatened or whatever, they must be taken through that proper assessment process.
1: Terrible, it, uh, yeah, and it's um, uh, one gentleman who's a uh, bond disposal expert, obviously one of the most dangerous jobs in the forces, um, he was saying that he was told if he didn't get these jabs, he wouldn't be able to deploy, and if he couldn't deploy, um, they would take his specialist pay off him. Um, well, uh, it's
0: totally illegal and unlawful and unethical and immoral.
1: Yeah. Um And, and this is the thing. I think initially the, the individuals in this position need to say, no, it's not happened. You can't force it or threaten me with my, my pay or my, my employment. It's like beyond breaking yes, so many laws. They, don't. Losses, you they absolutely don't. And, and you can prove it. I think that's the key thing as well, because there are people like yourself, many of you, um, who are now – you know, showcasing all of this, uh, the, these reasons, these laws, um, and I, you know, we all know that, that that particular individual in the military who will be saying to their guys and girls, "Oh, you need to go and get this done." They're being made to like really shoulder the responsibility because the government are taking like the liability off the pharmaceutical companies. And it no, no, just... no,
0: no. That's a misunderstanding of the whole liability indemnity issue. Um, and I don't know whether you've now seen the leaked documents, the Pfizer contracts that have been going viral on the web.
1: No, no, I haven't seen it, no.
0: Uh, they've been leaked. Um, so now the, uh, the contracts, uh, which were meant to be confidential, have been leaked into the public domain. And um, it deals with that indemnity provision. Can I say also that I used to negotiate contracts like that? my sins when i was working in a big city law firm we used to wade our way through contracts like that so you know acting for on both sides i can see that some of those indemnity provisions i would insist on putting in a contract they're fair enough you know they do limit the liability because for example when their product leaves the factory they don't know how it's going to be transported or distributed or stored so if it becomes damaged by that process then really that's not the manufacturer's fault if however the manufacturer has not, you know, marketed its product with, in accordance with its license. For example, um, the Pfizer product does not have a marketing authority. Okay, and it is only an emergency temporary authorization. It is not a fully authorized and licensed product. Mm-hmm. So any kind of misrepresentation or fraud, etc., then obviously they would still be liable because mm. they can't claim an indemnity on the basis that turns out to be fraudulent or negligent or whatever. Mm. So the indemnity clauses do have to be tied up very carefully. But no, ultimately the principle is, again, do no harm. If you've been harmed by the product, you have to find out how you were harmed. So it could have been because it wasn't stored properly or because it wasn't administered properly or because you weren't warned of all the material risks or because you had been lied to in the process of what it was going to do to you, et cetera, et cetera. So when you get harmed by something or somebody, obviously, you have to work out where it's come from, the causation. And in which case, obviously, if you're someone who could be blamed, you would want to limit your liability and and require an indemnity for things that Mm. weren't your fault. But equally, you can't can't get an indemnity for things that actually are your fault.
1: Yeah, and this is what we were talking about with Dolores last night, she, she went into a lot of great detail about stuff like this. Mm. Um,
0: Can I just say though, one of the things about those contracts is that is why the coercion and why the, the threats and why the pressure is so strong, because those, those contracts require the, you know, the, the purchasers, the participating member states to comply with the contractual provisions which require the temporary authorization to stay in place, that which requires the testing to continue so that we all think that there's an emergency. Um, it requires that there's no alternative available treatments. Well, there are.
2: There's we all now know
0: do. that there yeah. are plenty of alternative treatments. For those who don't know, you know, um, I'm now working on the uh, International Health Council. Yes, it has only just been formulated, um, but it's an umbrella council to involve World Doctors' Alliance American um Doctors for Freedom, Doctors for COVID Ethics, etc. All of us to come under an umbrella, do our own thing, but feed into what we're doing. So I attended a meeting on Monday night, um, two-hour meeting with forty-eight people from around the world, and we discussed a lot of these things. And you know, we are all very much in agreement around the world that every single jurisdiction is under the same messaging, the same coercion, the same sanctions, the same bribes. This is, you know, apparently every single country has signed a similar contract, which is why we are seeing an orchestrated mm-hmm. agenda across the world. Yeah, that is in yeah. accordance with these contractual provisions.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and, and it is quite alarming. And at this, and, but we're seeing the effects of it like every day, aren't we? You, know, you need to go into town, mm-hmm. and then, as I mentioned last night, it's been one of my biggest bugbears. Really, you're uh, seeing so many amazing elderly people that built this country up. Just, you know, walking around in so much fear that there's like a, a deadly virus oh, on, on, my heart. on potentially anybody that walks past because of the whole fear that's been struck into people by asymptomatic spread, um, which, again, has been just debunked time and time totally. and time again. Um,
0: Can I just say what, one one thing that breaks my heart is watching people walking around in masks, having been told that there's, that they protect them when they don't. And all mm. the evidence shows that. And I've got 123 years worth of scientific research studies that wow. prove that masks, except the FFP3, the full face respirator, cannot stop a virus particle this small. Right. So, and it increases the risk of transmission because it transforms them from droplets into aerosols, which travel further on the air currents. And they cause multiple harms, they cause multiple permanent organ damage.
2: Yeah.
0: They are actually on our legal evidence. They are. They constitute a crime against humanity under the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. That's what they constitute on the evidence. It is criminal to put those on your children. Criminal. And when uh, I say criminal, that's not metaphoric. Hmm. I'm talking about crimes against humanity under hmm. the International Criminal Court's code. And it is a crime according to our own criminal code because you are intentionally causing harm, which is resulting in suffering, loss, cognitive impairment, psychological damage. The evidence is there. So, people who still claim that they don't know about the harms, Hmm. they do because knowledge will be imputed because it's all there. There have been various court cases around the world proving the harms of mask wearing for children and for adults. But particularly for children, because their bodies are growing, their organs struggle more, it causes disproportionate damage for children. Hmm. It's heartbreaking.
1: It is, truly. And and obviously, as a father myself, it really is. And I just want to set the record straight here, the guys and girls who you're watching, who have, uh, you know, um, stated that I only get like one side of the fence, guests on and very biased towards this. There's nothing biased about what you just said there. It is 100 percent
0: well, can I just say no, this, no I just something there to clarify this? I mm. started off this journey into masks because my children were insisting on wearing them. And I'd already been told by my best friend, who's a health and safety inspector, uh, uh, that all the masks are useless except for the FFP3. And he said, and I'm sure there are some risks to them as well. You know, I know there are. So we went down a journey. So I could prove to my children the risks it would cause them. And I could not believe the rabbit hole I went down 123 years of mask wearing and 123 years worth of studies showing the multiple harms that they cause what I did was the opposite of what the authorities and the government and the WHO has done I cherry-picked the st- the data looking for the harms mm-hmm. and found them multiple right mm-hmm. and then I compared them to the studies that we were being told to believe and I'm, I'm not gonna make accusations on there, but I was disgusted. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and this just backs up exactly what uh, this nurse was saying to me with, uh, that I spoke to in London in great detail, like on her in her hospital now, um, they had five uh, sorry 400% increase in heart attacks, strokes and blood clots, all in uh, people aged under 40, all double jab. But their ICU wasn't filled up, filled up with anybody with COVID, not a single case, and she said mm-hmm. they hadn't had one the whole time. Um, but they were full of people with bacterial lung infections from wearing masks all day, every mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can, like you said, the, the evidence and the science is all there, but people, uh, the, this video I saw the other day is fantastic, this doctor was explaining that most people would believe your anus is the dirtiest place in your body, where it's, it's not, it's your mouth. Um, and said, if you're covering it up all day, you're literally creating, you know, common sense corner here tells you, you know, infection, for infection.
0: You Do you know how long they've known that? In 1920, the US Surgeon General made a a, a statement about the harms of mask wearing and the uselessness of them and the fact that they increase infection. And he based that because there was a Dr. WH Kellogg who in 1918, 1919 did a meta-analysis of the mask mandates and the flu infection rates and found that those states that had a mask had an increased risk, had an increased death rate. And he then did a study. He he then produced a peer review paper, saying that you know they don't inc- they increase the risk of transmission. They are a bacterial problem, and then of course we now know, as I say, back to two thousand and eight, Fauci's report. They died of secondary bacterial lung infections. The same thing we're seeing now in the hospitals, mm. and they've known that since nineteen eighteen, nineteen nineteen, nineteen twenty, with evidence. I can prove it. They've um, known.
1: Uh, And one of the questions I wanted to bring up here um, is the lady's husband uh, has been forced to wear a mask at work. Like, can he refuse this?
0: Yes, he can. First of all, they have got no lawful, legal, moral or ethical right to make him wear a mask, especially given the evidence I've just told you. Hmm. But had they given him an individual risk assessment for the harms of mask wearing, Based on the evidence I've just told you, and I can prove it, I've got lever arch files full of it, of the actual mm-hmm. original studies where I've just highlighted the bits. Yeah. And do, do you have har- the,
1: key, the key points on uh, like PDFs and stuff like Because it would be fantastic, obviously, to uh, show. Well, I've actually rec- created about
0: years. a 70-page um, document where I've lifted out the key harms from the research studies, and it's all fully referenced. I haven't quite finished it. I could just put it out there and let other people finish it as a working document. Probably should. I should stop being perfectionist and just get it out there. <laughs>
1: oh, well, I, I know what that's like. That's the.
0: But yeah, you could then print that off and take it to the occupational health department in your company. And if you haven't got an occupational health department, they'll have to pay for an outside one. And you say, look, there we go. 70 pages of all the harms to me that these masks will cause. Now mm-hmm. prove to me that they won't. Because unless you can prove to me that they won't harm me, you are illegally and unlawfully and unethically and immorally harming me by making me wear one.
1: Um, And and, and this is again, it all comes back to the the key thing uh, about the individual's ability to stand up and say no. And Mm -hmm. this is what's not been happening. Um, I was having a chat with my wife the other week and I said, if we went to Tesco's and we shut the doors and said, right everyone, Let's have a chat. Who here is only wearing a mask purely because you don't want to be, uh, you, don't, you can't be doing a confrontation that you're worried about mm. someone asking you where your mask is. Yeah. You, you, like, you feel like you're lying and stuff like that. And it's it's easier just to chuck one on, on your face. Uh, probably about 80, 90% of people would put the hand up. Mm. Um, and, and that's where we're at. It's just not having that. Um, and this is why I, uh, these podcasts are so important to get people on like yourself, to give people that, Little bit of inspiration uh, and moving forward that they can say no, and this is where we're at as a country. Regardless of your like vaccination status, we are at a point where we need to say no, no more. Like, kind of like what France are doing, but this issue with the passports—they now you know they did a U-turn uh, three, two, three weeks after saying they wouldn't be vaccinating kids after they sack the guys that basically advised them to not vaccinate kids. Um, you know all these kind of things um, and then the same people are obviously advertising that thought parks like little pop-up vaccination centers and
0: that's outrageous that's absolutely outrageous it, it, can i take a moment up. to explain that further yes yeah, sure. Under the, again under the informed consent rules someone has to have the capacity to consent
2: mm-hmm.
0: and the capacity must not be in fact can i read this out to you because i thought this is something that we um, yeah, really need to hear So under our Mental Capacity Act 2005, um, there's a presumption that people have mental capacity to give their consent to treatment Mm -hmm. or to whatever's happening, unless proved otherwise. But then there's also in Section 2, people who lack capacity. Now, I'm reading this wording because it's very, very specific rather than summarising it for you. Mm. For the purposes of this act, a person lacks capacity in relation to a matter, if at the material time, well, we when you think about turning up, for, you know, being offered the injection, he is unable to make a decision for himself in relation to the matter because of an impairment of or a disturbance in the functioning of the mind or brain. Now these clinics have popped up at festivals. How many people stay sober throughout a festival? How many people don't get peer pressured, or guilt tripped, or shamed at a festival? Mm. What are the chances that someone has walked into that clinic stone cold sober, asked for a clinical risk assessment, being given all the material risks, being given time to consider them, have the necessary allergy tests because of their risk factors and make an informed consent decision? They can't. It's illegal. It's unlawful. It's immoral. It's unethical. Same with Thought Park. Same with anywhere where someone can't actually give a proper decision. Because when you look at the patient information leaflets, what they actually say is that you should have this leaflet before. And when they say before, what they should have said is weeks before. Because actually, what it also says is you... It warns of risks. It says, for example, there's a the risk of severe anaphylactic shock. Well, we now know look, several people, lots of people have died from a severe an- an allergic reaction to these mm-hmm. infections. The manufacturer warns people of that. And what it says is, you should have an allergy test for the active ingredient, which for Pfizer is BN162B. How many people know what that ingredient is? And to the other ingredients, there are about 10 ingredients. I went on Twitter and I said, please, will you tell me what each of these ingredients are because I need an allergy test. Nobody could tell me what most of the ingredients were. They didn't know where to find out what the ingredients were. They didn't know what those ingredients would do to their body. They didn't know if they would be allergic to them. And they certainly didn't know what those ingredients would do in combination to their body and in combination with another combination of drugs from a different dose, from a different manufacturer. Nobody right. spoken to and taken evidence from has been able to tell me all mm. of the ingredients, what they are, what they're going to do to their body, and whether they're going to be allergic to them. And yet, the manufacturer's patient information leaflet specifically says you must get an allergy test.
2: Mm.
0: Where yeah. are these allergy tests? And the problem is that there are several ingredients in the Pfizer one, for example, that we know of, PEG, where around 80% of the population already have an immune response to it because it's in toothpaste, it's in cosmetics, it's in ice cream. Mm. You stick more of PEG into somebody's body that's already got immunity and they will get an over-exaggerated immune response.
1: Mm. Which is why uh, a lot of people who have already you know allegedly had covid and then get the vaccination and are very ill afterwards
0: because they've already got Im- an immunity
1: mm-hmm. yeah so you um, know and this is Sorry. what really bothers me uh, because you know i'm seeing it everywhere at the minute um and i i i, I use the uh, the app clubhouse quite a lot for for business and uh, and networking and i was in a room last night um after i'd done the podcast and it was all about vaccination and hesitancy so i was like mm, let's see what's on here and it was like four four or five junior molecular students, molecular biology students on the, on the stage on Clubhouse. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Clubhouse, it's an audio chat room app where you can go into um, like-minded rooms, uh, where the, obviously the discussion's in the title. Uh, the people who set the room up are on a stage, they talk about X, Y, and Z, and obviously people can come up onto the stage if they're let if they're allowed to, to ask questions and say the other they were talking absolutely some literally the opposites of uh what dr fleming dr jane ruby uh yourself doris cahill and everybody else I've had on the podcast on last night about these vaccines and that there's they've been rigorously tried and tested um uh, you know they're they're really good for you and if you even if you've had COVID, the best thing you could do is still get it to add to, you know you'll be even more super immune this is like the language they're using and these are actually like science science students and stuff like that and i was like, I i not believe what i'm hearing i was trying to get up on the stage uh, and that i don't know what if, if anyone knew me but they would not let me up and i was just like i can't believe this is happening um well, and I can obviously-
0: explain partly of why that's happening again you take the patient information leaflet that's what the manufacturer is telling you mm. about their product not what the nhs is telling you not what the scientists are telling you, no. not what the teachers are telling you. It's what the no. manufacturer of the product is telling you. When you read that patient information leaflet, it does warn of the risks. It doesn't warn of all of them because, of course, those are recorded on the various reporting systems like Yellow Card and Fares and Eurovigilance, right? Mm-hmm. So they warn of the main ones that came out of their phase one safety trials. The phase two and the phase three trial is ongoing this is the phase two phase three trial Mm -hmm. and it's going to end in 2023 so this is de facto an experiment so given it is an experiment on live human beings particularly healthy ones of all ages and of all preconditions it has to be conducted with extremely special care including telling the people that it is a live human experiment
2: Mm
0: -hmm. including Following the Nuremberg Code and the Code of Medical Ethics, people have to volunteer. Vo- vo- it has to be freely informed of all the material risks. Now, the material risks include death. They include severe disability, like blindness, like deafness, like you know strokes. Now, you know, when people are talking about what they can do with their employer, actually, there's a brilliant um, letter that I don't know whether everyone's seen yet, where we could talk about all of this for hours, but. This, this, if you can see it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I've seen that, yeah.
0: Yeah, that is a um, an open letter, read the vaccination mandate. And it goes into a lot of this in a lot a lot more detail. But basically, and it says in here, it confirms the fact that, you know, this is a live human experiment. You need to tell people it's a live human experiment. You need to tell them what the treatment is, what it's going to do to them, what the efficacy is going to be. And the efficacy studies have been misrepresented as well. Mm. what um, the long-term risks are, including for, for example, risks on fertility. And we know from the biodistribution study done, done by Japan that, you know, these products are bioactive. So, in other words, they don't stay on the, the site. They go into all of the organs of the body. Yeah. And in particular, they're concentrated in the ovary and the testes.
2: Yeah.
0: And that we've already seen problems with people losing their babies. And yeah.
1: So, Dolora, but that last of that night.
0: detail that we don't have time to go into is in here. Hmm. But but, what's, know, a, what's, what's
1: the title of that letter uh, so people could?
0: Open uh... letter: Revaccination mandates by employers for employees or potential employees. Who's now, that, who's, what it also says? Oh, I need to go and get my charger. Sorry. Who's, who's
1: on the... Who's on the letterhead? So, who's actually UK written the Medi- letter?
0: UK Medical Freedom Alliance, Lawyers for Liberty, Workers of England Union.
1: Hmm. UK so, medical. I'm going violence. to have
0: to run with everybody down to get my charger. I'm so sorry. This is very unprofessional. Uh, me. I've left my charger. No, no, no.
1: It's, a, it's, it's absolutely I'll fine. I'm, uh, I'm sure everybody doesn't mind you giving us uh, a <laughs> lot of my
0: information. My um, um, can I just also say, though, in terms of the employment uh, situation contract, unless there is a um, a, an express clause in the contract that says that your employer can mandate whichever vaccine they like to you, mm. they cannot util- unilaterally mandate that you have to take a vaccine. That Again, that's that would be a breach of contract. Mm. right? So they would have to, as I say, because they're not allowed to unilaterally impose it on you, that it would have to be reasonable to ask mm-hmm. you to do it and it can only be reasonable if they to ask you to do it if they've assessed you for your risk of harm Mm. does that make sense
1: yeah no no sorry folks hold on did
0: that make sense
1: yeah absolutely
0: um just plugging in that was an important um, point sorry
1: (laughs) one question sorry everybody Um, one one question okay. I've got Anna is, uh, and this is based on a lot of the conversations I've been having with a lot of people. Obviously, we keep making references to the Nuremberg Code being broken on all levels, like pretty all ten mm-hmm. of them. Um, and one of my uh, one of my friends said to me, like he feels that we're at a point where we're just stood there waving. There's Nuremberg Code in the air, saying you're breaking this, you're breaking this, and they're just looking at us saying like. And don't care because we're not seeing anything done about them breaking the Nuremberg Code on at any level at this stage. Like, where, where do you? Um, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Because we all know that the Nuremberg Codes being broken on many levels. We all know, well, we know that the people who are carrying out these medical interventions, even you know, the people who are vaccinating people, not giving informed consent, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are breaking a number of Nuremberg Codes. We know that as fact. Um, like. If i if i if i if my wife for example um went down to the local vaccination center and she was injected by uh, a nurse there that didn't give him informed consent or was it, it was just a volunteer uh, done a little vaccination course which some of them have done um and she had really adverse reactions like what could i do in a short space of time to basically show liability towards that person that did that because they didn't give me informed consent of breaking the nuremberg code
0: yeah, well, this is where the notice of liabilities comes in. Mm-hmm. So essentially what you do as the person, well, can I take you back a step, actually? You, you talk about the liability of the vaccinator. Mm-hmm. And a lot of vaccinators have become very upset about this talk about the Nuremberg Code and said, you know, what, why are you talking about the Third Reich? We're not. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a case law decision, the judgment of the International Military Tribunal in the medical cases which were run against doctors and nurses and other health professionals who were conducting human experiments on people. Now, the, whether you conduct those under the Third Reich in the 30s and 40s or whether you do it today or whether you do it in 30 years' time is not the point. The point is that a human being is conducting an experiment on another human being, and therefore there has to be a whole load of rules around that. Yeah so that's why we're citing the nuremberg because there's a 900 page judgment which you know i've i've shortened i've i've taken out the key bits so that people can read it to a much shorter format but basically what they do is they get each doctor and each nurse up on the stand and they ask them what experiments they were conducting on people and they found out whether or not those were willing volunteers whether they were harmed whether you know it was ethical experimentation or not, etc., and those who had not followed the medical code of conduct and ethics and were found guilty, some of them were imprisoned and some of them they suffered the death penalty. And the death penalty in those days was by hanging. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you look at our criminal code, under the Offences Against the Person Act, Section 20 is wounding. Now, what happens on the criminal legal analysis is that when an injector puts a needle into someone's arm they've broken the continuity of the skin in other words they've wounded someone Mm -hmm. and they've so they've committed the act and they've also done it deliberately so they've done it with intent now what what happens after that is a matter of chance so whether someone becomes harmed or they become disabled or they die The person who has injected them is the person who has caused that, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: which Um, is why, which is why you don't inject someone without obtaining their fully informed consent, mm -hmm. because the only the only way it's lawful to do that, to wound someone intentionally, is if they have fully consented to it. They knew that they were going to be wounded. They knew it was a material, the material risks of the wounding. They were volunteering. They had no coercion, no pressure. They were happy for you to wound them. So but if you not tell them of the material risks, the fact that they hmm. became disabled, if you told them, like the NHS is telling everyone on their websites, you'll just get a headache and a sore arm and a fever, But you don't say, well, actually, you need to look at the latest figures on the yellow yellow card scheme because that's our official reporting scheme. And unfortunately, you'll see from there that at least 1,500 people have died. Mm -hmm. So there is a material risk of death. There's also a material risk of all the other things that are listed on there, myocarditis, encephalitis, Mm. as I say, neurological problems, strokes, paralysis, tremors. So these are material risks to people. They need to be told that those are risks. And if they are not told, they haven't consented to that
1: risk. So um, in, in regards to that, if uh, my mom's my, um, using my wife's reference, if my wife obviously had a really bad episode or it caused seizures because we've seen that happen multiple times, for example, she's left potentially paralyzed, what mm. immediate or, or any really any adverse reaction and she, and they weren't given uh, informed consent. What was the immediate legal thing that I could do?
0: Yeah. So that what you need to do is you need to find establish who it was who actually injected you, because that's the living man or woman. Mm-hmm. So okay. as a person, they're the person who injected you. So you need to yeah. find out who that was. You need to obviously know what product it was. Mm-hmm. So that you can then find out whether it was the way it was stored that was harm that ended up in the harm or whether it was the fact that you didn't have you know you weren't given a risk assessment you didn't have an allergy test um whether it was because you know it had been transported faultily, whatever the reason is, somebody put that product into your arm and you've ended up hurt, so you issue that person with a notice of liability, but you also list the other people who would be responsible vicariously, so for example the clinic manager the NHS, Public Health England, the Department of Health, um, because they're all responsible for making sure this doesn't happen. Because the vaccinator is trained by NHS England uh, under the training materials that are produced by Public Health England. As I understand it, they get a three hour session on informed consent.
2: Mm.
0: So if that if you know if they did go to that training session, then they will have no lawful excuse not to have taken someone through the informed consent. I mean they shouldn't they wouldn't have a lawful excuse anyway but do you know what i'm saying yeah so you know there's sorry i'm tired am i making mm-hmm. sense no no it's
1: fine honestly yeah, so um <laughs> my next question from that would be like obviously i've then issued that notice of liability i'm i'm
0: oh yeah sorry the notice of liability I, I, yes yeah, so you, so you find I... out who's done it And then what you do is you say, the reason I'm issuing you with this notice of liability is not intended to cause you harm, distress, or suffering, but to put you on notice of your potential liability in both civil and criminal law, because on the evidence, you are causing harm, Mm -hmm. okay? So you then set out your list of allegations about the harm that's happening. So you're not handing out the patient information leaflet. You're not giving a clinical risk assessment you're not taking people through the um, ingredients to check whether they're allergic to them, et cetera, et cetera. So you set out all the allegations of why you think you need to serve this notice on them.
2: Mm.
0: And then you can encapsulate the law, why this is a breach of these laws. And then on, in, you, at the back, you say, I need evidence that you know that's not going to harm me. I need evidence that it's, it's um, safe and effective. I need evidence that um, you know, it's going to reduce transmission because on the evidence I have, I can't see that what you're saying is correct. So you do mm-hmm. a call for evidence at the end. And then again, you finish off by saying that you know, you need to understand that this liability is personal to you. Mm-hmm. It, the buck stops there, effectively. It's personal, civil, and criminal liability. Mm-hmm. Because what you want to do with these notices is to stop people doing it to another person, yeah. right? And to hold them liable for the harm they've done to you or to your relative. Mm -hmm. But if people don't know they're breaking the law, they're going to carry on doing it. But the Mm -hmm. problem that they face is that ignorance of the law is no defence. Yes. What you want to do is tell people the law so that they can uphold it and stop breaking it and stop harming people.
2: Mm.
0: So we've drafted um, a notice of liability, but (laughs) it's ever growing because the evidence and everything is constantly growing and the legal analysis is vast and the evidence is vast. So um, this week we're hoping to circulate it to um, the International Health Council. Various members on that have said they'll happily review it. Um, And then again, that will be a template for people to to use. Um, I'm afraid it's about 60 pages at the moment. So it's not a succinct little number. And the reason for that is because we've seen lots of notices of liability being circulated. And frankly, if all you say is you know you're breaking the law and you should uphold our human rights, et etc., it's not really going to inform people and make them better, you know, understand what's going on. Mm. Whereas this actually sets out as much as we possibly can. If people don't read it, that's their lookout. But mm. they've been, they've now been put on notice. And the beauty of that is you've fixed a moment in time where you can prove that you told someone. And you gave them all the evidence and you told them what the law is and you've told them to stop doing it cease and desist if they carry mm-hmm. on you can prove in a future court of law that they jolly well did know because you told them and you told them everything
1: yeah and from a parent's point of view because this is a big one um obviously they've already said that um or they've already opened it up to 16 17 year olds there's already correspondence and dialogue being made between schools and parents in certain areas of the country that, that it's very likely that 12 to 15 year olds would be next um from a head teacher's point of view or a teacher's point of view um if they whether they agree with it or not mm-hmm. obviously there's gonna be a lot of parents that are gonna be extremely upset about this yeah the, the, the fact that the head teacher like allows it to happen given the risks like far outweigh the dangers far outweigh the you know the, of these vaccines in children far outweigh than what they do with covid we already know that problem alone said that clearly on a podcast richard Fleming, etc cetera, etc cetera. we know that the evidence is clearly there where do these head teachers um and people of responsibility stand in terms of the legalities of all and just allowing it to happen
0: extremely precariously in summary we're sending out notices of liability to the Board of Governors, the head teacher, and the deputy head of every school in England mm. because they really need to read our notice. Mm-hmm. Um, it sets it all out in there, you know, their personal, civil, and criminal pending liability should mm-hmm. they proceed. Okay, it's very, very serious. And what I would draw everyone's attention to now, I wanted to actually read you. Um, Something again, because the latest case law decision we have on children's ability to consent to medical treatment in this country is called Bell and Tavistock, and it was a judgment that was passed down on the first of December 2020. So it's very, very, very fresh. And basically, what it was, it's it's a um, it's a case against a trust of a um, a child who's now an adult, but at the time they were a teenager. And, and the case is actually about um, transgender puberty blockers, but it applies because essentially what we're talking about is puberty puberty blocker being a treatment for a a, a condition or a you know whatever. Right. So it doesn't matter that it was transgender and it was puberty blockers. What it matters is that children from the age of ten to eighteen were being assessed for their competence to agree to this treatment. So what the court does is look at it all and what they say is, well, actually, what have you got in place as a trust to make sure that these children can consent to this medical treatment? When there are no long term, very little long term safety data, it's still an experimental treatment. It might affect their fertility. They actually don't know whether they're going to change their mind about the treatment at some future point. And the trust said, oh, no, no, don't worry. We've we've dealt with all that. We've spent two years coming up with um, a standard operating procedure, which I'm suggesting we should all be relying on. And the standing operating procedure says um, that basically all efforts will be made under two sessions with a um, child from 10 to 18, so two separate counselling sessions, To go through the long-term consequences of the medical treatment. The implications on fertility, um, the decision whether the child is gillet competent would be jointly made between the um, endocrine team in that example. So this would be the you know immunology team and the psychology teams. Now, bearing in mind what we said about the capacity to give consent given the psychological warfare, can you imagine? the children's mm. ability to do that. And I'll, I'll pick up on that in more detail in a minute. But then also the limited scientific um, data for the long-term benefits versus the potential harm. So in a, actual fact, the risk-benefit analysis. Um, and then the concerns really the person um, continuing to identify as having made the right decision. So bearing in mind, for example, with the Pfizer one, this is a synthetic piece of code that is going to permanently change your coding.
2: Hmm.
0: Now, a child at 15 might think, yeah, that's a great idea. I love that idea. Can you imagine at 25 if they still think that? They may not. Yeah. So, you know, that's a standard operating procedure that NHS trusts have in place dated the 31st of January, 2020. Now that's not, that standard operating procedure is clearly not being applied, is it? For these injections for children.
1: So it's on the bus, off the bus, on the bus, off the bus, isn't it? Right.
0: Okay. so I'll go on to say that. It also says the service specification includes Section 3.2 on informed consent. This says the consequences of treatment decisions can be significant and life changing. Indeed, we already know children have sadly died from these injections. And it says all efforts will be made to ensure that clients are aware of the longer term consequences. So that's the first thing they say but there are no long-term safety data no. for these people. So how can, according to the NHS's own service specification, on informed consent, how can they be breaching it? So this, this you know, this is a, it's a very serious issue. Now, the, one of the doctors gave evidence and it says, in advance of any referral by the trust of a young person for consideration for treatment, they, they The clinicians discuss the treatment. So not a an injector. A clinician will discuss the treatment with the young person. This includes checking that the young person's hope for treatment are realistic. So most of the children I know who are consenting it to at age 16 says, yeah, it's safe. It's It will protect me and everyone around me and it won't harm me. That's not realistic because mm-hmm. that's not what the evidence shows. Explaining what the treatments can and cannot do discussing any potential side effects, discussing fertility, and the potential impact on genital development, which this one injection does have, okay? Um, So then they go into more detail about that, but they take evidence also in this case from a psychiatrist. And she says something very, very interesting. She says, relevant to the evidence, sorry, In the judgment, it says, relevant to the evidence of consent is the evidence of Professor Scott, director of University College London's Institute of Cognitive Neuroscience. So she seeks to explain from a neuroscientific point of view why I have significant doubts about the ability of young people under the age of 18 years old to adequately weigh and appreciate the significant consequences that will result from the decision to accept hormonal treatment for gender dysphoria would change the hormonal treatment, to change that to gene treatment for Mm. SARS-CoV-2. She explained the neurological development of adolescents' brains that lead to teenagers making different, more risky decisions than adults. She said further that this is backed up by behavioral studies showing that when decision-making is hot, i.e. more emotional, which this is, you're gonna kill your grandparents, you're gonna kill your parents, you can't see your friends unless you do this. Under 18-year-olds make less rational decisions than when the responses are made in a colder, less emotional context. Well, we've seen the messaging around this for children. It's, you know, on fire, not hot, it's on fire. And her conclusion was that given the risk of puberty blocking treatment, gene therapy treatment, and the fact that these will have irreversible effects that have lifelong consequences, it is my view that even if the risks were well explained, that in the light of the scientific literature, it's very possible for an adolescent to be unable to fully grasp the implications of gene therapy treatment. All the evidence we have suggests that the complex emotionally charged decisions required to engage with this treatment are not yet acquired as a skill at this age, both in terms of brain maturation and in terms of behavior." And she goes on and gives her evidence about that. And the overall conclusion of the case is this. A child under 16 may only consent to the use sorry, that's my dog, Bumble. A child under 16 may only consent to the use of medication intended to to gene treatment, where he or she is competent to understand the nature of the treatment. Most adults don't understand the nature of this treatment. That includes an understanding of the immediate and long-term consequences of the treatment. Well, there are no long-term consequences, we don't know them. The limited evidence available to its efficacy or purpose. Again, we, we've got false efficacy data, and its potential life-threatening, life-changing consequences for a child. There will be enormous difficulties in a child under 16 understanding and weighing up this information and deciding whether to consent to the use of this treatment. It's highly unlikely that a child aged 13 or under would be competent. So that takes the 12-year-olds to give consent to the administration of such treatment. It's doubtful that a child age 14 or 15 could understand and weigh the long-term risks and consequences of the administration of the treatment. And then it says, in respect of young p- persons age 16 and over, the legal position is that there is a presumption that they have the ability to consent to medical treatment. But that that's only if they know the long-term consequences of the in- intervention and that the treatment is innovative and experimental, which most people are not being told. They're being told it's safe and it's effective and it's fully tested. Yeah. So that's the latest case law decision in our country. And I've read you the standing operating procedures of the trust, NHS trust. I think that's pretty clear, that if, unless schools apply that to this injection, they will be breaking, you know, not only the standard operating procedures of the trust, but of our own case law decision and the other laws i've discussed so they you know those notices of liability have to be sent to them pretty damn quickly because at this point in time they stand to be both held personally and criminally liable if these mm. go ahead given what i've said with all the evidence
1: um from uh, your expert opinion and experience and obviously the conversations that you have on a daily basis with your colleagues around the world, um, we're seeing multiple laws nationally and internationally being broken on a grand scale, Um, you know, especially by certain MPs, Um, are you confident that we will see arrests?
0: No pressure there then. Well, to be honest, the way I explain it to people is this. Before the MPs are allowed to sit in the House of Commons and debate and to draw down their salary from us, we the people, because they are our public servants, Mm -hmm. they have to swear an oath, which is the parliamentary oath. And that parliamentary oath, obviously, is to uphold all of our laws. And the ministerial code also specifically says they have to uphold all of our laws and not discriminate which of course they are doing against people who can't get vaccinated etc shaming them you know telling them that they must do it i mean you know goodness me how many times have we all been nagged to take this injection for goodness sake so they are clearly in breach of their parliamentary oath so whether that should follow with arrests or not depends on whether or not the arrest would be lawful And, you know, a lawful arrest could be executed with reasonable force under our criminal code. Mm. You'd have to prove, of course, that the person needed to be lawfully arrested because they were breaking all the laws. So Mm. the first thing to do is to serve notices of liability on the MPs to, again, warn them of the laws that they are breaking. And, of course, that's not one-size-fits-all because some MPs have been standing up. Some MPs have been doing the right thing. So it's a matter of identifying the ones who are the perpetrators, mm-hmm. the aiders and abettors, and the ones who are staying silent and omitting to act and being compliant, because that is all criminal activity. Because under the law, acting and causing harm is the same as omitting to stop harm from happening. I see. Um, so staying quiet staying quiet is omitting to prevent harm, suffering, mm-hmm. loss, and death.
1: Yeah. Um, Do you believe that there is uh, a judge in the land that would take this on? Because obviously I was speaking to uh, some high profile lawyers just in conversation, the ones I met at the um, Question Everything Summit. That was one of the key concerns.
0: It's a concern that every single person says to me, sadly. And it's a concern that every lawyer in their jurisdictions around the world has said, apart from Malaysia and South Africa. So there is a concern from pretty much everybody I've spoken to, fellow professionals and we, the public, that we would be trying hard to find a judge who would be objective, who would be, um, you know, not upholding some kind of agenda. And I don't say that deliberately because, as I've just said, we've had psychological warfare conducted on us. Mm -hmm. So I'm not in the bar. Um, but I do have friends who are judges and I know people who have got friends who have judges and partners who are judges. And the intel is this, that a number of them, unfortunately, have succumbed to the narrative and they literally believe the narrative. And so bringing any contrary evidence in front of them is going to be a huge shock because it's so against everything they've been told and they believe. Mm. So there's evidence that there are certain members of the judiciary who fall into that category. And indeed, I know a couple. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've tried so hard, so hard, but it just goes nowhere. Um, And then you've got those who I think are very, very confused because like all of us, we have been inundated with so much evidence and scientists and experts saying this, that and the other, that frankly, if you're busy doing your day job, how do you have time to do all the things that I'm spending my whole time doing? Because actually you're administering cases and running your family and all the rest of it. So they may only be fence-sitters because of lack of evidence and information. And In fact, they may be desperate for us lawyers to bring it in front of them so they can find a look at it all, mm. right? Because we know that evidence has been censored. We know that public debate hasn't happened. So, you know, the fact is that we have been getting this one-sided narrative. And yeah. then there are those who are fighting. You know, they are trying to make the right decisions, and they are, you know, not allowing masks in their court whilst they're in there and that kind of thing because they know they're harmful and they are upholding the health and safety laws and they are making a stand so again like every profession there's a mixed bag
1: mm. yeah and i think um you know i, I, I know everyone's on the same or well, sorry on a on a different page when it comes to that and uh i've actually got a appointment with my local um mp uh, next next end of next week um he was very quick to put his hand up and vote for mandatory vaccinations for healthcare workers. Um, so I booked in a conversation with him in a meeting um, because what I'm going to show him will hopefully cha- change his mind. Um, and I, you know, I, I'd urge people to do the same. I'm not, I'm not saying every MP is the same, obviously I've got uh, correspondence uh, and dialogue with um, like Sir Graham Brady and um, people like that who have had on the show before um, who are very much in the same page as we are. Um, it's it's just trying to give people some like a little bit of faith something to hold on to that there's someone's going to te- you know set something off and i think obviously you know it, you know whether that's in australia or canada or here um people want to see things happen as soon as possible and you know hopefully kick off a ch- you know really positive chain of events for for people so it comes crumbling down um what's uh well i mean you speak to people in australia quite literally you've got colleagues there yourself. And mm. um, at what point are they at right now in terms of like be, actively being able to help people who are being like so badly coerced and threatened there it's uh and if, if people are if people are watching you don't really know what's going on in Australia, I really encourage you to take notice it's it's just like a different level. Um that if you actually see some of these actual MPs and people ministers and people who are of real you know, um, responsibility in the country that just the absolute lies that are coming out of their mouths on TV, blatant lies. uh, It's just shocking. It's shocking.
0: Um, Well, it's unlawful. it's illegal, it's uh, immoral and it's unethical. Hmm. Sorry to interject, but can I just take you back to your MP in your meeting and then I'll tell you a bit more about Australia. The MPs who have voted for mandatory injections are, have absolutely revealed their hands as people who clearly don't care about the law. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a certain amount of sympathy for that because whilst ignorance is no defence of the law, the law is horribly complicated and I don't expect anyone to know it off the top of their heads. None of us lawyers do. We have to look it up and we have to clarify etc. But the point is, these MPs have a duty to uphold the law under their parliamentary oath and under their ministerial code. So your MP should be taking legal advice about the decisions that he's making because his decisions are his personal and civil liability, mm. right? So the fact that he's chosen to mandate injections means that if somebody gets injured or suffers death, etc., by the injection and he's mandated it, he will also be standing trial for those criminal offenses.
2: Mm-hmm. So, again, and this is, exactly the conversation this is why
0: we need to serve notices of liability because I don't know how much I don't know where these MPs are getting their legal advice from. I have mm. no idea or whether they're taking legal advice at all. But He's most not. of them, aren't, most of them aren't lawyers. So yeah. how are they basing their decisions? How are they upholding the law mm. when they're not taking legal advice and they're not lawyers? Because exactly. clearly they're not. They're either not taking legal advice Or they're ignoring the legal advice because no lawyer would be saying to them, yes, you can mandate vaccines because this vaccine, because it's perfectly safe. It won't harm anyone. There won't be any criminal or personal liability flowing from your decision.
1: Yeah, and I think people like him are just really like foot soldiers. And my friend actually had a meeting with him first um, because he knows him. And his discussion was to do with uh, vaccine passports and does he really understand the implications of them? and he said he said he said it was literally like talking to a kid that plays xbox all day um he, he was really blasé about it he was just like oh, i don't see what the big deal is you know so it's just an injection we get injections all the time so what if you got to share a passport like it's you do it on if you want to go on to some country it makes me nice. very angry and this guy is an mp for you know the for, for, for the constituency where i live this so this is why I'm, I'm so eager to go and uh See him, to, and if I need, I'll take a note of liability, and I'll tell him exactly why, and exactly uh, I'm actually doing him a favor.
0: Yeah, um, but you know, we he that's why they swear a parliamentary oath mm-hmm. because it's not a day job where you don't care about what you do, and you don't have to bother reading the law, and you don't have to bother upholding it. You swear an oath to do so, right? And then there's that whole body of law, which also that you have to uphold. So you don't get to not pay attention to the fact that you've just changed the law for all these people and people are dying from the mandate you've just voted for. It disgusts me, frankly.
2: Yeah.
0: But going to Australia, yes, lots of people in Australia are coming together. There are um, action groups and campaign groups. Various Australians have contacted me. Um, to help um, them run the informed consent campaign that I, that we're running about helping people understand this whole informed consent issue that we've just talked about. But also I did see a clip of a group of people who were talking about the fact that they were going to be making citizens arrests of the perpetrators, including public health officials, including ministers. Um, and you know from, from the Australian public's point of view, the coronation oath uh, the coronation oath 1953 the monarch has sworn an oath to uphold the, rule, the god's laws and the rules of the american uh, oh, sorry the australian people as well specifically read the oath so any one of their ministers who's sworn an oath to uphold the coronation oath and the laws is also in breach of their oaths and that's mm-hmm. why the oaths are there that we talked started off talking about the hippocratic oath They're there because it shows that you have such a position of responsibility in your hand that if you abuse it, you can become a mass murderer. You can be responsible for huge miscarriages of justice if you've, you know, failing your judicial oath. You can, as a soldier, go out and commit mass murder and harm your people because you're not upholding your serve and protect oath, right? Mm. So this is. You know, we are, as a society for over 2,000 years have held the oath sacrosanct for that very reason. So what you say to your MPs and what you say to all these public officials is that anybody who has sworn an oath is now in breach of it. Anyone who's got a professional code of conduct in place, which will specifically set out all these laws and say you mustn't breach them, is in breach of their professional code of conduct, which means they can have their licenses removed. For example, they can be investigated for disciplinary action. And then anybody who's in a contractual relationship with you they can't force it on you because that's not how contracts work so there's a whole raft of safety mechanisms to stop what's happening from happening so it's up to us we the people to uphold them all now everyone needs to stand in their sovereignty we are all equal under the rule of law nobody gets to tell you what to do unless it's lawful and you don't need to comply and do anything unless it's lawful And it's only lawful if it's not going to harm you, cause you suffering loss or death. So a lot of these measures that people are being asked to comply to and are afraid to stand up, they just need to stand in their own sovereignty and say, no, this measure is going to harm me. And unless you can prove to me that it's lawful, it's legal, it's moral and it's ethical, then you don't get to tell me that I have to do this because you're telling me I have to do it. And that applies to the prime minister, that applies to the teacher, that applies to your parent, that applies to you know the policeman. We are all equal under the rule of law and all of our rights are inalienable, they're fundamental, they're invaluable and nobody gets to take them away. The only way that they are claiming they're able to take away our rights is because of this public health emergency but there isn't a public health emergency on the evidence hmm. so they don't get to do all this with our rights
1: no oh, absolutely and uh, i think as well because they've tested the public and they can clearly see that the majority comply and i think because most you know,
0: people are nice
1: yeah, most people
0: want to help people and not yeah. harm them
1: but that's where they've used the psychological warfare in terms of like you know you need to do this to protect the granny you need to do this to protect mm. your neighbor you need to do this to protect Everybody you walk past, so you need to wear mm-hmm. your mask to protect mm-hmm. others. You, you know, and that's when, I, you know, if I spoke to a lot of people now in shops, saying, "Can I just ask why you're still wearing your mask?" you don't actually, you know, they have the the mask mandate, the majority of them say, "But we'll say, oh, you know, it's just, just to protect others." I'm like, "Well, if you've got no symptoms, why, why do you believe you're sick?" And that's mm-hmm. the psychological warfare that's been put mm-hmm. on our, on the, all our nations' people, mm-hmm. um, and, and then the the people in, you know, who are running this whole puppet show. I literally sat there like this while everybody is, you know, in the middle of a in middle of the vision, because you. Oh, you mean people- they're rubbing
0: their hands at the seven seven billion pound predicted face mask market and the two hundred billion pound vaccine market? I'm sure mm. they're rubbing their hands whilst other people are losing their jobs and losing their lives.
1: Yeah, and, and people don't see it like that. they see that, it like it's some, what's happening in their life is for somebody else's gain on a mass level mm. on a mass mm-hmm. scale. Um, You know, it might make them see differently. Um, I give everyone the benefit of the doubt, I genuinely do. But we're 18 months down the line, right? Now is the time to start thinking logic. Now is the time to take a step back and actually look at what is in front of you and ask better questions, ladies and gents, all mm. right? If your friends or family aren't doing that, let's educate them on how they can do that, right? Let's not have a go at them. Let's not fall out of them. Um, this is why I asked a question yesterday on the social media, um, how, you know, I said, I've been how many people have, uh, you fallen out with in the last 18 months, friends or family over what's happened. And I was very interested in like a lot of the answers and it was a total, uh, uh it was just a minefield of different answers, but a lot of people was uh, totally been disowned by family. A lot of people were very much like try not to talk about it. So that it caused division, yeah. but the, the, the fact of it the matter terrible. is, that, yeah, the division is there but what we can do to, I guess, build those relationships back is, um, or all with other people, is to show them podcast videos like this with people mm. like yourself. Um, show them like Dolores Cahill's interview last night. You know, show them all the other amazing work that the that some of the most qualified people in the world are trying to explain to them and are being heavily censored. So instead of saying, "Well, they're being censored because they're talking shit," actually flip it on its head and say. Why would that person? Why would someone go through all that trouble to sense that person in the first place because of mm. what they're saying? And and that, no. person, that person. We're seeing censorship like worldwide, like we've never seen it ever in history. Why mm. are they doing that? And it's mm. because we all know now; it's very clear and obvious. You've got to look back at Dr. Fauci's emails. That your Facebooks, your Google's, all your big tech, all your big pharma, um, all these big companies. Even have to look at like the MPs within these governments, within our own government, in the Australian government. The the, uh, Health Minister of New South Wales, her husband, funny enough, is a large shareholder in Pfizer. Um, it's just one thing after the other with these people. I said Mm. last night, Dolores Cahill, many people died on ventilators. Um, Dyson Mm. were awarded a 345 million pound contract a month before that contract was awarded. Boris Johnson's brother started working there. It's just, you know, you just got, uh, if you take the time to connect the dots yeah. and listen to the people who have done so much hard work like yourself, the logic is there in front of your face. Um, and the quicker, and once you get there ladies and gents, you'll be so glad you're there and you will never turn back ever. Um, and that's where, why we are at where we're at now and continuing to do so to bring bring this light to the people who are listening now.
0: Yeah, God bless you for the work you're doing, AJ. But I'll I tell you, pick, picking up on what you were saying about, um, uh, oh, no, I've lost it now. Gosh, I'm so tired. I've been up since six this morning. You were saying,
1: <laughs> you were saying, um, you were saying thank you, AJ. This is the best podcast I've oh, no, um, us ever heard. Uh, it should be number one in the Apple iTunes or something
0: like that. <laughs> oh, no, about losing friends and family. And I laughed. And I thought, actually, I, I didn't mean to laugh because it's funny. I laugh because I myself have lost, you know, family and friends. And luckily with the family, it's it's healing again. But, you know, we had a falling out about taking the injections because I was desperately trying to persuade people that they needed to look at more evidence, et cetera, and I was shut down and it caused problems. But, you know, ev- virtually every single person I know has suffered some kind of friendship loss or family loss, and it's actually heartbreaking
2: mm.
0: because, you know, to be fighting over whether or not you're right or wrong to take a particular injection seems to me to be absolute ludicrous and yet that's what it's come down to you know you have people like Jennifer Aniston coming out and saying well I'm not going to be friends with anyone who's you know not vaccinated anymore I mean Mm -hmm. since when is that okay I'm not going to be friends with you because you didn't take your annual flu injection I mean it's just craziness Mm. Um, And it's deeply disturbing because it's actually very reminiscent of what they did, of course, in the Third Reich, which was to create a group of people that they gradually made less and less and less acceptable for everybody else. That they become the other, Mm. which is a classic psychological technique used in society. Find Mm. a group of people, demonize them so that everyone ends up thinking of them as non-human. And then it's okay to treat them however you like. It's okay to eject them from bars and to make sure they can't go shopping and they can't take in in normal life because, hey, they're not even really human anymore because of their, you know, their views, etc. It's exactly the same kind of thing that's happening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, that, that, you know, yeah. Everyone's
0: losing family and friends and it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's part of what's being perpetrated on us as a population.
1: Yeah. I, again, it's all part of, uh, it's almost like they've got like a little checklist of what the stages that they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um I've said 10, this for quite some 10 stages time.
0: of genocide, that one you
1: mean. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think
0: we are number seven, aren't we? On the stages. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah and even down to the uh, even down to the uh, the vaccine passport side of stuff as well. Mm.
0: Um oh, it's your papers.
1: Yeah. Honestly, guys, yeah. if um I know the majority of people here uh listening are very much or would imagine are very much against vaccine passports, but I can tell you now, yeah, and you need to share this with your for friends and family. This isn't just me saying that this is what's gonna happen. The minute we allow that to happen in our country, we've lost say goodbye because the, the freedoms that we once enjoyed and mm. our forefathers fought for, mm. okay, that's what some people were very quick to forget. People like myself or tens and hundreds of thousands of others, millions of men and women who have gone overseas to fight for the freedoms of this country, you know, are going to be completely and utterly lost. And they've already done it from day one. They've seen, just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing to see how far, they can make this nation and the people go. Um, and they just keep taking and taking and taking. And they've been doing it since day one. And majority of people are just letting it happen. Um, those of you who've got grandkids, those of you who've got young children, you who know, are the future of this country, you need to look at your children in the eyes and ask, ask yourself, like, a picture of that potential, that child's future. And what does that look like? Not your own, the child's future. And what does that look, potentially look like? Okay, because as soon as you start doing that, then you'll start asking yourself some real questions, especially what's happening right now.
0: Can I talk about the vaccine passport quickly? Because, again, if you go back to the Hippocratic Oath, part of the Hippocratic Oath was that the physician would not reveal any of your medical information, your secrets to anyone else. Mm. Fast forward to the Human Rights Act where you have, you know, your right to privacy, including Mm -hmm. your most precious information, which is often your medical information right which is sacrosanct between you and your physician and nobody else they have to get your written permission to send your medical notes to anybody to disclose anything about you and under the data protection act we are protected from having our most sensitive information given out to people like our phone number let alone our medical status so this whole idea that it's suddenly fine for everyone to know why you can't wear a mask why you should you know what, what your test result is what your vaccine status is no it's co- again a complete breach of our privacy laws mm-hmm. and again yeah. these are MPs who don't know the law if they've listened to the if they've been given legal advice they've ignored it because I tell you what I know for a fact because I was one of many many people who submitted copious amounts of evidence and legal submissions to the committees calling for evidence on vaccine passports where we told them all of this we said this is you know we've made all these submissions to them they're completely unlawful they're illegal and they're immoral and ethical and everything we've just talked about and they've ignored it and they're going ahead anyway why because it's part of the agendas we know that bill gates id 2020 He wants us to be tracked and traced and surveyed biometrically from now on. Mm
2: -hmm. You
0: know, this is an agenda. People need to be clear about it. The idea that, oh, you're just waving some little documents that you can go into, you know, your festival. No, 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 no. As you said, this is mission creep. This is, you know, to track and trace and survey everybody. have their biometric data on there, your financial detail, everything. So you've completely lost your autonomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's dystopian beyond your worst nightmarish. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, I I, I truly believe that as well. Um, I think time's going to be a a healer for a lot of people in terms of, and I mean mentally, in terms of people who have already gone out and, and been vaccinated who will then turn around and go, wow, um, at the time, I thought it was the best thing to do for my family and friends, et cetera, et cetera, because that's what the majority mm-hmm. of people have done. Mm-hmm. But then at a point when they're, it's like, what have I actually done it for? And then now I've got to like look at what's happening in front of me mm-hmm. because that's what we're going to be at because they're already mm-hmm. priming and that's all they've done psychologically is primed the public every time they tell you what they're going to do Yeah, and they're already telling about boosters. So come autumn when they want you to use it, all come and rush and get your boosters, you know, unless you get your boosters, what's your vaccination status going to be? Yeah, yeah. You're already in that vicious circle, you know, yeah. a, 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 a boosted vaccinated people. They're going to start hating double jab people. Do you know Which I mean, it's just like it's it's just beyond crazy. Um Well, yeah. I
0: mean, they're making billions. Why would they stop that cash cow?
1: Yeah. And um uh, on last week's episode, of Robin Malone, he actually came out and said that. Dr. Fauci has uh stood there in front of a, an audience and said that they need to start looking at alternative uh treatments to the vaccines. Oh. Um, oh, really? Yes. What, yes, like all people have
0: been saying it since last April, the alternative yes.
1: treatment. But here comes the but. Um he's not gonna uh he's not gonna go running out and screaming either, you know what the rest of the word is, um, and H C Q, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it will be a Pfizer-branded tablet of some sort, um, yeah, for people who don't like vaccinations or you know turn it down, so it's in their best interest. But we uh, already
0: have drugs that are safe and effective and off-license and therefore cheap and should be used because again we should not be denied treatment and under yeah. the fully informed consent process. You're not giving fully informed consent if you haven't been told of the alternative mm-hmm. available treatments yep. and people are not being told of the available mm-hmm. treatments.
1: And these, um, these unfortunately, these available treatments um, will land a doctor in Australia, a six month prison sentence if they prescribe it. That's well, I'm what I
0: would say to the doctor is go to court, take it. The court won't be able to win that. It's completely outrageous. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the Indian Bar Association's notice of liability to the chief scientific officer at the WHO? 50 yes, pages sir. of yes, calling her out on why she suppressed the evidence about ivermectin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's irrefutable. Yeah. There are clinicians treating the people around the world with ivermectin and finding that it's working and successful. Vitamin mm-hmm. C, D, uh, C, D, zinc, you know, the Zelenko protocol, yeah, um, you know there are alternative treatments Absolutely. so the the only the only reason these vaccines have a license they're not called they're not vaccines rather but they've labeled them as such even though they're actually regulated as human medicines but they don't fit the definition of a human medicine under the human medicines regulations they actually no. fit the definition of a medical device under the medical devices regulations but even if they are regulated under the human medicines regulations, as they claim to be able to, they are only licenses only valid if there's no alternative treatments. And there are. Fantastic. So that's why it's being suppressed, clearly.
1: Um, Anna, I want to take this uh, opportunity to thank you for an- another night of amazing value. Yeah, on the Asia Robert Show. Guys, It's uh, it's been a fantastic couple of days, obviously with Dolores last night and everything she shared. And now Anna has come on the show tonight to, to deliver all this valuable information about all the legalities and where we sit with, uh, with so so much of this uh, tyranny, and let's face it, that's what it is, that we face in different countries around the world. Um, just to let you know, Anna, the, um, the chat down the side of my page has just been inundated with people saying how uh, amazing you are and the amazing work that you're doing uh, and, and exactly you know after the conversation we had last week and then obviously hearing everything that you've had to say this this evening I you know I echo what every single person listening has uh has got to say um and let's hope that your team and people you know like myself and loads of others out there who are doing some things to try and bring this charade down to his knees um you know we need to we need to start taking some action guys but it all starts with you as an individual it all starts when you start you know you start saying no um and that's the message we need to spread you need to tell your friends and family just say no because yeah at the end of the day then if you can if you just keep complying uh you're not breaking any laws they're not laws that that there isn't any laws that you're breaking Mm -hmm. um you're you're living your life, okay, whilst others are being taken away. Um that's what you need to remember, ladies and gents. Um Anna, where can uh everybody find you if they want to get a hold of you? I don't mean your actual home address. In the hills
0: <laughs> <laughs> hiding under a bush. Um, um well I've started up a um telegram channel. I see me actually it was my really good friend Simone Plout who um is working really well with um together. Bless her. Um a Telegram channel called the Informed Consent campaign. So that Mm -hmm. that one that people find out. Um, I can send you some links, Actually, maybe then you can share them. And then there's the Informed Consent Alliance website and the Lawyers for for Action website. But as I say, it's under construction. So if people at the moment want to um, get hold of me, they'll probably have to get hold of me through Facebook (laughs) because I've been locked out of Twitter. and um, we're in the process of setting i've been i've been locked out of twitter we're in the process because i was saying too much um i we're setting up an email for the for the um those two websites so what i can Mm -hmm. do is i'll give all these links and emails to you and then people can come to you i guess on your page to find them because this is literally work in progress everybody i'm sorry it's not all set up and running Mm. and sorted
1: yeah and, uh, one of my good friends uh david um who's actually living in france is having a bit of a taller time at the minute bless him he's actually just said you know i suggested for you to grow an email marketing list because that way people can subscribe and you can just get this information out to tens of thousands of people very quickly mm-hmm. um that'd be a very good idea obviously we could chat about that more afterwards but yeah um yeah thanks thanks for that uh valuable information there david that's a really good idea um guys if you've enjoyed the show please um, let all your friends and family know, uh, share it to them, send it to their inbox, show it to them, put it in their face, whatever you need to do. We need to get these messages out to as many people as possible. Um, if, you ha- if you haven't done so, please make sure you subscribe to the A.J. Robert Show YouTube channel. Uh, I'm also on Rumble, so you know, just in case you- YouTube pulls me like they did with Dan Gregory. Um, and obviously on Facebook, um Zuckerberg seems to be quite nice to me like I think he might, he, uh, he might want something um yes. uh, and on Instagram as you can see uh on the screen at mr underscore AJ Roberts um as I mentioned last night ladies and gents uh, a big part of uh what I do as well um is I work with a fantastic charity called Melcross Mission International I'm a patron for the charity and we work with the amputees and the rape victims of the Blood Diamond Civil War in Sierra Leone um each year we go out and do a medical mission and we help hundreds of people during our period there. Um, I was supposed to be going out this year, obviously that fell on its uh, on its ass, um, but we're looking back to go back in January. Uh, so what I've done is I've set up a Patreon account for the AJ Roberts Show. So if you are a fan of the show and you've enjoyed the value that has been brought, um, can I please ask, if you, uh, solely if you wish, um, to please uh, become a Patreon of the AJ Roberts Show. For the price of a cup of coffee, you'll be donating to uh, the medical mission where we're going to help hundreds of people in Sierra Leone who are struggling with uh, the current pandemic. And they're not in a viral sense, but the fallout of uh, obviously what's happening all around the world. You know, people who already have absolutely nothing. Um, are being punished even further in a country that has already seen Ebola, civil war, mudslides, um, and obviously um, problems with poverty and uh, malnutrition, etc. cetera. Um, I'll put the Patreon link into the, my Facebook straight after this, guys. Um, it's on the AJ Robert Show and the YouTube channel. Um, have a nice evening. I'll get as many links and templates and everything to you as quick as I can uh, through Anna. Uh, I'll probably put them on my own website as well, so it's a central place yeah, for, uh, for people to go to. Uh, they can't send to me there. Um, but hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode guys i hope you got a lot out of it you know please give us some feedback and uh i'll see you um tomorrow night i won't be live it's a pre-recorded episode it had to be for uh let's call it safety reasons um and i'll put a time out nearer uh the time as well so you can jump on and uh and watch it but from uh from me Come and uh, come over to and uh, chat to my DMs if you need uh, help with anything. But uh, for me and Anna, have a fantastic evening, and uh, we'll see you next time, guys. On the Asian thank
0: you. Can I just say thank you all ever so much for tuning in and listening. I'm really, really, you know, glad that the comments say it's been helpful. So thank you ever so much.
1: Amazing. Thank you, Anna.
0: All right. Take care.
2: Bye.